If you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 this morning as we continue our series through Paul's letter to the Ephesian churches. We are in verses 18 through 20. Now, the last time I said I only have two more sermons in Ephesians, a hurricane came through and changed all of that. So, um, God, uh, God willing, next week will be our last sermon in Ephesians. Um, but we thank God for all that we have been able to learn through this great uh, letter. We'll look this morning at verses 18 through 20. The title of our sermon is Praying for the Saints. And our key words for our worshipers in training are pray, proclaim, and ambassador. One of the great men of faith of whom the world is not worthy is a man by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller lived 1805 to 1898, and he is considered one of the greatest men of prayer and faith and trust in God since the days of the New Testament. Most of Mueller's life was lived in Bristol, England, where he led four far-reaching, very influential ministries. However, he is best known for his work in orphanages. If you've ever read anything by Charles Dickens, you understand what life was like for orphans in, the, uh, in England in the 19th century. It was a tough life. The conditions were deplorable. So Mueller took them in and provided for them with food and clothing and education. And at any given time, Mueller had as many as 2,000 orphans in his orphanage. And over time, more than 10,000 of them went through his care over his lifetime. And as remarkable as it is, what is most noteworthy is not just that Mueller did this, but that he did it by never once asking anyone for a single shilling to pay for it. He didn't have fundraisers. He wasn't rich himself. He didn't send out support letters. He didn't ask the local government or civic organizations to help. He simply prayed. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. In reading through Mueller's personal journals, you find that Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer, 30,000 of which he said were answered on the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. Think of that. that. That's 500 definite answers to prayer every single year, more than one per day, every single day for 60 years of his life. And through, and, and through his prayer and through his faithfulness to God, over a half a billion dollars passed through his hands in answer to those prayers to support the work of the orphanage that he never asked for. One story in Mueller's journal recounts a time when he said that all of the plates and all of the cups and all of the bowls on the table were completely empty. There was no food whatsoever, and the funds he had previously acquired were all dried up. The children were standing around. They were waiting for their morning meal, and Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. And so he lifted his hands and he prayed and he said, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are about to give us to eat. And he recounts in his journal that almost instantly there was a knocking at the door and the local baker stood and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow 
I had the sense that you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some, so I was up at 2 a.m. and baked fresh bread and I have brought it to you. And so Mueller thanked the baker and almost immediately there was another knock at the door and it was the milkman and his cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and decided the only thing he could do was give the fresh milk to the children so he could empty his wagon to repair it and so that the milk wouldn't spoil. And Mueller's journals are filled with these kinds of stories, remarkable remembrances of the wonderful things that the Lord did to sustain the work that he did to the glory of God. I've always been fascinated by Mueller's prayer life. I've been quite envious of his, his absolute trust in God, even when things seem absolutely helpless and dire. And as you read through his writings, you get the sense that he never really worried. He had an unwavering trust that when a need arose, God was going to be there to provide. And so he would pray, and indeed, God provided And in this morning's text, as we look at it, the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us to look at our prayer lives as we conclude this section on spiritual warfare in the Christian life. Paul has has thus far painted this picture for us, adorning each believer with the full armor of God, all of the necessary elements in order that we can engage in the battle to defend and to fight and to have victory as Christians. Think of the soldier that Paul describes, readying himself as he adjusts his war belt, his heart pounding under the the breastplate as he checks his footing underneath his shoes. He takes a firm grip on his shield, he secures his helmet, he readies his sword, and he's putting on each one of these pieces of gospel armor. But the question is, how is he doing it? Paul shows us that each and every piece of armor that he puts on is done so in prayer. There will be thrusts of the sword. There will be damage endured as we engage in the battle. But all of it must happen as we keep prayer at the forefront and in every aspect of our warfare. George Mueller know what it meant to be a Christian soldier more than most who have ever lived. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what about me? What about my prayer life? Well, let's read the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6. It's on page 979 in the blue ESV Bibles if you want to follow along there. Beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now notice in verse 18, where we will spend most of our time this morning, the apostle uses the word all four different times. He speaks of praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. And these four alls will set the foundation of the text as we consider the vital importance of prayer in the Christian life. John Calvin said, Prayer is an emotion of the heart which is poured out and laid open before God. So let's think more about how we lay open our hearts before God according to His Word. The first thing for us to see this morning in verse 18 is that Christians must pray in the Spirit. Paul opens our first verse with this exhortation that we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, this isn't some kind of mystical way of praying, but it's also not just praying mechanically and unfeelingly. Praying in the Spirit is a longing of the heart for God's blessings, often with groaning that comes not from the flesh but from the heart. It is, it is desirous for God. It is desirous to have greater communion with God. It's interesting that Paul writes this here at the end of his letter because, remember, Paul has spent most of his time through this letter dealing with doctrine. What should we believe about God and what God does? And specifically, he just finished writing about the the whole armor of God, of the Christian, which is uh, the Bible and righteousness and the gospel and truth. But lest we simply run into the battle only knowing the right things, it's as if he wants to remind us that knowledge is of very little value if we lack divine fellowship and communion with God. Brothers and sisters, knowing and even believing the right things is not enough. We might be orthodox in our beliefs, and I hope that we are. That's the armor that Paul is writing about. Sound orthodoxy, sound belief. We are hopeless without a right understanding of the truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, You cannot fight the devil with philosophy. You cannot fight him with idealism. You cannot fight him with anything but the truth of God which is provided for us. And amen to that. But he would certainly add... You also cannot fight the devil with orthodox doctrine if you are attempting to do so in your own power and your own strength. It is possible for a Christian to know and to believe all the right, true, sound things of God and yet still be completely powerless and lacking in strength. You may know and understand the truth, You may be able to identify what's true and what's error in other people's beliefs and teaching, and yet in the end you may be living a life that is of real no spiritual value whatsoever to you or anyone else because you're being defeated by the devil. So even though intellectual knowledge of the truth is essential in the Christian life, it cannot guard us completely because it is powerless without God. And so Paul exhorts us that we must pray always in the Spirit. The Spirit is to prayer what the soul is to the body. What is a body without a soul other than a dead corpse? And this is exactly what prayer is without the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul writes, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So we see that the Holy Spirit prays for us and also joins us in our praying joining his prayers with ours so that we are praying in the Spirit. Jude 20 refers to this same work of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So when we pray in the Spirit, there are two supernatural things happening in our prayer. First, the Holy Spirit is is instructing us and guiding us in what we ought to pray for. Apart from the Holy Spirit's guidance and assistance, our prayers are limited to our own intellect and reason. Secondly, as we seek his help, he will speak to us through his word, which conveys his will regarding every matter of principle. That means that God will settle certain things in our hearts to pray for with the conviction that they are God's will because we see them as they're recorded in the Scriptures. So you see then, this isn't some kind of thing that we conjure up. This isn't some kind of magical way of thought or some kind of formula. It's simply a matter of our prayers being a true expression of our heart because a spirit-filled life of a Christian includes prayers that are being directed by the Spirit who lives within us. In other words, praying in the Spirit means that we are praying from a genuine place. We're praying from a place of of true desperation, a place of true need, a a place of desire and longing. Not from a sense of duty, not from a, a sense of obligation, not from an unthinking, unfeeling place of simply doing what Christians do because we ought, but a place of understanding what we're doing and with whom we're doing it. Brethren, we're not talking to our neighbor across the fence. We're not having small talk with a store clerk, and we're not catching up with an old friend. We're bearing our souls before the God of the universe who created you and who sustains you, the God who can answer every one of our requests in an instant should he desire. And the fact that he allows us to do that so shows us how much he loves and cares for his children. But it should also cause us to quake that we not do it out of dead, cold hearts. What are your prayers like? Are they lifeless and repetitive? Do you just sort of go through a routine repeating the things you've always heard or just said? Or are you thoughtful? Do you put time into thinking through your prayers and how you're going to pray them before God? Are you engaging your heart and your mind, or are you fulfilling an obligation? I'm not not saying everyone needs to be able to pray eloquently with, with lofty, stirring words, but are they words spoken from a true sense of wanting God to do what only God can do? from a sense of wanting more of God in our lives and and, and working in us to bring us nearer to Him, that we might delight and rest in Him instead of depending on ourselves. That's true prayer. 
Praying in the Spirit also includes praying in accordance with the Word of God. One of the things we talk about frequently here is that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are inseparably tied to one another. The Word of God does not work on dead, cold hearts apart from the work of the Spirit of God. And likewise, the Spirit of God does not go around working in people's lives apart from the Word of God. And so it follows that if we are to pray in the Spirit, we ought to be praying the Word of God. One of the most helpful things you can do to improve your prayer life is to open the Bible and pray God's Word back to Him. Open the Bible. Start in the Psalms. That's the easiest place to begin. And make the prayers of the Bible your prayers. Turn the Holy Spirit-inspired prayers of Scripture into your prayers. And along the way, you can use the words of Scripture to inform you how you pray for the things and the people and the circumstances that you pray for. And as you pray... Ask the Spirit to remind you of the Word of God. Specifically, those texts of Scripture that are relevant to whatever's going on in what you're praying for and about. Ask the Spirit to do what the Spirit does and give you guidance through the Word of God. And as He does, you ask Him to keep your mind and your heart free from sin and impurity that keeps you from praying rightly and keeps you from focusing your efforts and attention on the Lord. All of these things are the work of the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God. So if we are to pray in the Spirit, we should consider what the actual work of the Spirit is. And if our prayer is to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-directed instead of lifeless and ineffectual, it will be in accordance with God's Word. You know, the church of God would be so incredibly powerful and effective if we all learned to pray in the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, let your prayer time begin with asking the Lord to direct you, to give you prayers to pray that you might be led by the Spirit of God instead of your own wisdom. And when the Spirit leads, no matter how simple your words they will be full of life, they will be full of power, and you can be assured that the Lord will hear and the Lord will answer and the Lord will be glorified in you. Or maybe you're not a Christian. Do you know what the most wonderful thing you can pray for is? That the Lord would make known to you the reality of your own need, your own real longing of everything you've longed for in your life, it is found satisfied in only one place and in only one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you are not a Christian, you can pray, but the Lord will hear your prayer and answer your prayer when you cry out to God, admitting, confessing the reality of your heart and of your need and of your real longing and desire to be known and to know the one who has created you and sustains you. And by faith, embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and your sinful nature and delighting in him, the Lord will hear that prayer and the Lord will answer that prayer. And the Lord will give you a life of prayer that goes on forever and ever, delighting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is praying 
in the Spirit. Well, the Apostle Paul also tells us in verse 18 that Christians should pray different kinds of prayers in different ways for different occasions. You notice that next part of Paul's exhortation, he says to pray with all prayer and supplication. Now, throughout the Bible, you find many different examples of different kinds of prayer and and different ways of praying. And Christians should, in time, be well-skilled in every kind of prayer and should pray them often. We see prayers of confession, where we confess our sins before God, admitting our fault in sin and our great need for redemption from this body of death found only in Jesus Christ. Prayers of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for who He is and what He has done and is doing and will do. Prayers of intercession, asking God to work in the lives of other people in different ways and for varied reasons. Prayers of adoration, adoring God and praising God for who He is and all of His attributes and all of His nature and character and His mercy and His grace and His love. Prayers where you're asking God to work in your own life, presenting the challenges you face to Him and the struggles that are going on in your heart to the God who knows already what they are, expressing in openness to God that you want to be changed and that you might be more faithful and more holy and more like Christ in all that you are as one of His children. Also, our prayers should take on different forms. Many of our prayers will be spontaneous in the moment as someone asks us to pray or we engage in prayer in a situation that has just happened where where we're seeking God's wisdom or in our prayer time as God brings specific people and circumstances into our hearts. We should also have prayers that are planned. People and ministries and, and circumstances that we pray for and we list them out so we don't forget them as we promise others we'll pray for them, as we make notes of their needs. I think here of our our family members and our our church family and missionaries and others we, we love and are called to intercede on behalf of. No, let them know that you're keeping track of them. We should we should pray often for others. We should pray alone, spending time each and every day with the Lord, undistracted and intimate. But we should also pray with others, our spouse, our our children, our friends and family, our church family. Brothers and sisters, we all need to be all the more diligent about praying with others. Christians should be praying together as we're in each other's homes, as we assemble together as the body of Christ, as we're talking about and thinking about situations in our lives. Pray. We should be praying short prayers and long prayers. And sometimes it's something as simple as, Lord, give me wisdom as I answer this person. Or you may pray this one often, Lord, give me patience as I correct my disobedient child. But we also need to have extended times of prayer where we can develop our thoughts and express the full magnitude of what's going on in our hearts. And I know you well enough and I know my heart well enough to know that if we don't schedule this to happen, it won't happen. When will you meet with God regularly 
How long will you set aside? You cannot leave this to chance. A time and a place must be set, and without a plan, we don't pray. And you know that's true. Praying does not just happen. We must plan for it, and we will be much blessed because of it. Well, the third thing Paul shows us in verse 18 is that Christians must be ready to pray in all circumstances. Often our tendency is to turn to prayer as an afterthought or as a last resort, but the Bible exhorts us to always be praying in every situation, warning us that if we're not, we're going to be caught off guard. Paul writes, keep alert with all perseverance. In Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, we have Jesus saying, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come all upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, Jesus' point wasn't that we should stay awake all of the time, literally. But he's saying you need to be alert as to what is going on around you. You need to be aware of the tactics and the tools of the enemy. And as they are being used against you, you respond in prayer. Remember, we need the full armor of God, but what am I doing as I'm putting on the full armor of God? I'm doing it prayerfully. As I'm sharpening my sword, in other words, as I'm studying my Bible, I'm doing it prayerfully. I'm doing it while I'm asking the Lord to help me understand His Word rightly and to apply His Word rightly. As I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm asking God in prayer to help me remember that my righteous standing before God is not found in myself, is not found in my works, but is found in Christ alone, who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death for me that I might live. And we could go through a whole host of things, but the point is that we ought not to seek to do anything without prayer. And as we face trials, and as we face temptations, and as we face a scheme of the world or the flesh or the devil, we need to be alert, we need to be ready, we need to be answering in prayer that we not stumble and fall. But there's another aspect to this as well, and that is persistence. We are to pray, Paul says, with all perseverance. In, in one of his parables in the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ dramatized this and what he wants for all believers. In Luke 18, verses 2 through 5, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about man. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. The idea that Jesus is presenting is a persistence in prayer, and it's a recurring theme throughout Scripture, and particularly with Jesus. 
At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you're likely familiar with his exhortation and his promise in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And the Lord's language is compelling because those three verbs, ask, seek, and knock, they indicate this ascending intensity. We start by asking or requesting. We come to God in humility, asking for him to work. And the next step is of greater intensity. It's, it's, it's seeking, which involves more than asking. It includes action on our parts. In other words, we don't just ask for it. We get up and we, we're actively looking for it. And the, the final step is knocking, which is to ask, is looking for it, but it's also persevering. It's like a person who keeps pounding on a closed door. It's desperation. You get this image in your head. If, you're, if your child was hurt or, or ill and you wanted to get to your neighbor for help, what will you do? You're not going to go to their door and gently tap and hope they heard you. Maybe they'll come and answer. Maybe, hopefully, they're not too busy. No, you'll rush to the door. You will pound as hard as you can and call for them, Help! Help! I need you! I need your help! I need more of you! Please come and help me! I can't do this on my own. And this is the tenacity that Paul has in mind for his children as we come to God that we would pour our hearts out before him, desperate. You see, so often we pray and we don't see an answer, so we just stand back and stop knocking at the door. But the Lord has ordained it that some of his answers to our prayers come after much pounding and much pleading that he's working in our hearts to show us our desperation and our dependence on him, that only he can answer those things, and in time, he will. He will. Sometimes we don't see an answer, so we just give up, and we assume the Lord is saying no. But the Lord delights to honor perseverance in prayer. This is not to suggest that, that God regards prayer as a meritorious work. When, when you pray enough, then he will answer. No, rather, God sovereignly chooses to encourage our persistence in prayer and to answer it to his everlasting glory when we don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Do we pray this way for spiritual work? Are there individuals or ministries or groups or things uh, that you want to see done for the kingdom of God for which you persist in prayer? There ought to be. We are in a supernatural war and those who persist in prayer will prevail. In the Pilgrim's Progress, part two, Christiana and her children are traveling with the assistance of Greatheart, their guide. However, they're, they're feeling uh, very comfortable with Greatheart and his leadership. And there's a point along the trail where he stops and he says, I must return back from where I came. And they didn't understand why. They, they were so dependent on his leadership, they didn't know why he wouldn't continue on. They didn't understand, and so they asked why he couldn't continue with them, but he let them know that they had only asked the king that Greatheart would accompany them as far as he did. He would have gone further. The king would have been happy to let him go further had they asked, but they didn't ask. They received not because they asked not. Keep asking, dear brothers and sisters. 
Persist in prayer. The Lord is not slack in responding, but he may be building your character as he makes you more and more desperate to see him work in your life and the circumstances you're praying for. Well, the last thing Paul shows us in verses 18 through 20 is that Christians must pray for all the saints. The final thing we see is that all of the saints are in mind, as Paul calls us to pray, far and wide. Our brothers and sisters may be out of sight, but may it never be that they're out of heart or mind. Many years ago, there was a wonderful work of God's grace in connection with one of the places where the China Inland Mission was working, and it was beginning to gain a lot of attention. There was a large number of new converts coming out of this work on a regular basis, and they were of amazing spiritual depth and character, and nobody could understand what was going on there and what was so different about that place than everywhere else. And after a time, the great missionary Hudson Taylor made a visit to England, and after he had preached, a man came up to, to speak with him. And in the midst of the conversation, Hudson Taylor was surprised at how much the man knew about the work and about all of the people involved in it and the names of the people whose souls had been changed and those who had been converted. He knew all kinds of information about the work. And Taylor asked him, how is it that you are so knowledgeable about the conditions of that work? And the man replied, oh, the missionary there and I are old college mates, and for years we have regularly corresponded. He has sent me names of inquirers and converts, and these I have daily taken to God in prayer. He knew not one of these people, but every single day he prayed for them. And this, brothers and sisters, was the secret of what was going on in that place. A praying man from far away praying daily for the work of God, and God was working. There are many worthy things to pray for, but believers, saints, are to have the largest part of our prayers. Sure, we're to pray for those without Christ. We must, if we are to win them to Christ, we must pray for them. But high on our list should be fellow Christians, all the saints, we must be praying for the work of pastors and missionaries. We ought to be praying regularly for specific works that we are aware of, missions we know about in, in Atlanta and in India and in France and Papua New Guinea and China and Nigeria. And not just those works, but the workers involved in them. We ought to be praying for our brothers and sisters who endure persecution in the name of Christ. Those who are giving their lives in refusal to submit to the godless wishes of those who seek to turn them away from the Christian faith. We ought to pray for one another that we would remain free from sin and resist temptations that are put before us in the world and the flesh and the devil. We ought to pray for one another's perseverance in the faith and holiness, praying that we will continually grow in our usefulness in God's kingdom, praying for opportunities to give witness to the glory and majesty of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, are we truly praying for one another? Are we praying for all the saints? Even Paul himself concludes our text this morning with a specific prayer request for himself. He's a preacher. He's an ambassador of Christ. 
And he desires in his preaching to have the liberty of the Spirit of God to proclaim the gospel freely and clearly and boldly. He says, I cannot do it without your prayers. I fear that I may lose courage and fail under the stress. Pray that I will have the courage to proclaim the gospel fearlessly. I need your prayers. Now, was Paul just stringing them along? Was he serious or was this some self-conscious attempt at humility? No, we know that Paul was genuine. He's telling us in this spiritual war, prayer is the first thing and the second thing and the third thing. Pray, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. Pray, pray, pray. And I ask the same of you. I need your prayers. I cannot be of any use to you. And to those God calls me to minister to without your prayers. In being holy, in in being faithful to my family, in serving the church with a pastoral heart, in preaching, in doing the work of an evangelist, in being a helpful counselor, in being a faithful ambassador of Christ, in praying for the church, in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. None of this is effectual unless you're praying for me and I for you in the journey that we are on together. We need the prayers of one another. It's a rare occasion that God will intervene and give us daily victory in the battle unless we ask him to do so. Are you feeling spiritually defeated day after day after day? How's your prayer life? Therein lies a big part of the answer. Brothers and sisters, if Paul the apostle believed that God would give him strength and clarity and courage to preach apart from the intercessory prayers of the Ephesian church, he would have never penned verses 18 through 20. And if the apostle Paul is certain he can do no spiritual good without the prayers of others, you and I ought not to think any different of ourselves. And if our lives as God's people, the more we pray, the more faithful we are in prayer, the more we realize that it's at the heartbeat of our communion with God and the more time we will spend in the presence of God, the stronger we will be as individual Christians and as the church of Jesus Christ as we seek to be more efficient and more effective in our service to our King and His kingdom. William Cooper penned these great words, Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer keeps the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Our greatest battle strategy, brothers and sisters, is to stay on our knees. Let's be a praying church and a praying people that God would work wonderful and glorious things in our midst and for his name's sake.